Is that it? Sweet. How you guys doing? It's good. Uh, if you didn't catch Rick's announcements, hopefully you caught those. Uh, man, there's a handsome face up there. I love Chris. Um, it's good to be with you guys tonight. Uh, I think the Lord has something really profound to say to us this evening. Um, over the course, uh, really the last month of preparing for this message, uh, I've been angry, I've been frustrated, agitated, I've lost a ton of sleep, uh, I've wept, uh, I've been extremely anxious and nervous, uh, still am, uh, and I didn't feel confident in, in what I was preparing until like Friday. Uh, and so this baby has been basked in prayer, and it really is my heart. Uh, that the Lord would, would speak to us this evening. Uh, I'm not overly excited to give this message, and so I'm going to stay away from the very energetic and engaging introductions. Uh, we pretty much just got one. And we're just going to jump into the meat of it. Uh, can we do that? Uh, but first, I, I really want to pray for us, because I believe that what the Lord is going to challenge us tonight is essential for us moving forward. And so, Father, I'm just so thankful and grateful uh, for this opportunity, uh, even though it's not something that I necessarily want to do. And so, Father, I just, I want to obey you this evening and uh, communicate what you want to communicate. And so it's my prayer on behalf of these people uh, that their ears would be opened, uh, their hearts would be softened, and their minds would be receptive to the word that you want to speak. Because, Father, without you, this is completely useless. And it's my heart that we would be marked as people of faith. People who are relentless in the pursuit of God. And so, Father, I just pray that you would bless our time. You would uh, fill my mouth with what we need to hear. And so, Jesus, uh, I just want to pray in your name tonight that we would see breakthrough, that understanding of your love and your truth would be made known, uh, and that the lies of the enemy, I just, in Jesus' name, want to rebuke that in this place for all people. And I just, uh, Lord, I just pray that you have your will and your way this evening. I just pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And we are in week two uh, of our underdog series. If you were not here last week, Pastor Jason uh, talked about forgiveness as we see in the life of Joseph. And that sermon was very well written and very well communicated and really rocked my boat. Forgiveness is not an easy thing to do, uh, but it is really an essential thing that as human beings, we must continually do. Uh, and there were a number of things that I learned uh, through that sermon that forgiveness really is not forgetting. Uh, like we were all created to have a memory. There's a reason we remember things. And so it's not just tossing aside a wrong or an action or, or somebody uh, backstabbing us. It's not just forgetting it. That's more or less just suppressing and, and, and trying to uh, sweep it under the rug. That's not actually healing. That's just causing more hurt, but it's also not a feeling. And, and to, to think that forgiveness is a feeling that I will only forgive when, when I'm good and ready and, and my feelings say so is, is a is really bad idea. 
because uh, I don't know if you've ever been wronged, um, but I probably would never feel ready to forgive. Um, and there's still some people that in my life I have forgiven and that has come up in, in this last week since Jason has preached that, you know, I, I should be more gracious and I have not fully forgiven uh, because there's still some harboring resentment there. Um, and I took this definition of forgiveness uh, from somebody, some pastor on the West Coast, and I totally forget her name. Uh, so this is not my own, even though I wish it was. Uh, but forgiveness is the personal act to release the one who sinned against you from your right to collect on their moral debt or to pay him or her back on his offense. So in other words, we release people from earning our forgiveness and we release justice back to God. So we don't seek out revenge. We don't seek out the grudge. We don't, we don't throw them under the bus. We completely release the debt and the justice into the hands of the one who is just. Um, and I really wrestled with that this week because there's some people in my life um, who I don't necessarily think deserve that, if we're being honest. Yet the Lord really convicted me, saying, you ask me for these things and you won't release them of this do you understand how much you, yourself, Parker, have been forgiven? And so tonight we're going to continue on with this series. And I think it's important, really important to understand not just how much we've been forgiven, but how much we should forgive, especially tonight where we're going to talk about faith. And we're going to look at Daniel and his story and, and really just how rock solid he was in his belief in God. That it didn't matter that the powers of a kingdom that were coming against him, he stood firm on the name of Yahweh and he was not willing to be moved or shaken. Uh, in fact, I believe he had what I would call unshakable faith. Yet unshakable faith is not instantaneous. And we're really going to look at how Daniel cultivated that level of security in the Lord uh, over the next few moments. Uh, but before we get there, uh, I just want to, uh, for those of you taking notes, the title of my message is Unshakable Faith. Uh, in parentheses, you can write down Overcoming Kings and Kitty Cats, all spelled with K's. Totally know that's not the proper spelling, but that's okay. Overcoming Kings and Kitty Cats. In the face of adversity, the Lord is our deliverer. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel 6. Um, but uh, before we get there, I want to just jump into a definition and, and kind of unpack just what faith is before we talk about unshakable faith. And so the Merriam-Webster Dictionary says that faith is trusting in something you cannot explicitly prove. Faith is some, trusting in something that you cannot explicitly prove. Or uh, as Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance in the things unseen. Faith operates in the unknown. And because I, I like algorithms and formulas, it's why I like social media and the fact that they do know how to predict, 
predict the fact that I like Remington shotguns and Nike shoes all at the same time, and that's like all the ads on all of my social media page. I've got an algorithm for faith for us today. Faith is, is both intellectual agreement, so in my thoughts, in my mind, I believe something to be true, and trusting, so the reliance on the fact that it's true. So I don't just think it's true, I actually trust and, and rely on the fact that it's true. Faith is both intellectual agreement and, and trust. I'd like to illustrate it this way, and I'd like, I'm going to bring my wife up here for this actually. I just want to illustrate faith in action, because uh, really faith is an action. It's not a thought, as I just said, it's, it's not just a feeling, it, it's both, it's thinking and trusting, it's an action. It, there's, there's steps involved. So why don't you come on right up here, honey. Look at, look at how beautiful she is tonight. This is just amazing. Thanks. Smoke show, I'm telling you. <laughs> so I have one question for you. Do you believe that if you were to fall, I would catch you? Yeah. We're testing our marriage in front of like 200 people. <laughs> but would you let me do it? Sure. Do it. See, now, well, here's the thing. First of all, we practice in our living room, so she knew, <laughs> she knew, right? She, ah, but see, here's the thing. Faith is cultivated. We're getting real tonight. Um, yeah, you can go. Uh, so she knew, like, she believed that I would catch her. She also trusted that I would. And through practice, she actually believed and was more or less not incredibly fearful of falling into my arms, my strug, rugged arms. But now here's the question. Do any of you believe I would catch you? Exactly. Exactly. Just because we see something done and then it's, the ball is put in our court, when it's our turn to believe, when it's our turn to have faith, sometimes it's a little too close to home and we don't really want to step out and be vulnerable because really that's what faith is. If it's the belief and the trust in something that you cannot explicitly prove, or it is the confidence in things you hope for and, and the assurance of things that are unseen, there is a massive level of a unknown. That was a question mark. Unknown. We don't know. There's a, a, I don't know if this is going to happen. I'm believing and trusting that it will. That's hope. I have the assurance, the confidence that God is good. He is deliverer, and he will bring me out of this season, this circumstance, this situation. I believe that he is good, and regardless of what my life story is, he has blessing and favor and grace for those who believe. That is the core of faith in Christianity. Like John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The way to enter heaven, not that that's what it's about, but the way to enter relationship with Jesus is through belief, is through faith. How often do we get that wrong? Faith is not just the foundation of what we believe in. It is 
the foundation. Everything we trust in the Lord is built upon our faith. That cornerstone is Jesus. And so tonight we're going to talk about unshakable faith through the life of Daniel. And so I've got a working definition for us of unshakable faith. And here's how I created this definition. I went to Merriam-Webster Dictionary. I searched up unshakable and I searched up faith. And I took the two and put them together. It's amazing what the internet can do for you. And so unshakable faith is an unchanging, unwavering, and unmoving trust in something you cannot explicitly prove. Unshakable faith is unchanging, unwavering, unmoving trust in something you cannot explicitly prove. Mm. So Daniel... Daniel chapter 6, if you got your Bibles, hopefully you're there. I just want to catch us up real quick uh, for the first five chapters because there's way too much content uh, that we, I'm going to burn through this and we're going to miss a lot. And so in the first five chapters of the book of Daniel, uh, we see this, this man, Daniel, be thrown into exile uh, in Babylon. Uh, he's taken out of Jerusalem along with many others and, and held captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, if any of you know your, your history, uh, Babylon at this time was a roaring, dominant empire in the known world. Like it was the top dog. And Daniel was captive in this kingdom. And so because Daniel was part of the royal priesthood, he was also taken along with some of his friends. We commonly know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were trained as part of the royal court of King Nebuchadnezzar for three years. So in other words, they were, they were being forced to, being, to be stripped of their cultural customs that they would have been taught as a Jew. And, and they were forced to believe in the, the gods of Babylon and learn the literature and mythologies of the kingdom. And after those three years, they were commissioned and put in to service for the king. And now here's the kicker. In the course of that, Daniel refused to reject God. He refused to worship false gods and false idols. He, he stayed faithful in his worship of Yahweh. And then, you know, because of that, it eventually, his rebellion caught up to him. And he faced life and death situation, not even his fault. Uh, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, had this dream about a statue. Uh, and I'm not going to get into all of the stuff about this statue and the meaning and the interpretation, uh, but he asked his enchanters, his magicians, and all of his wise men, uh, what it was my dream. He's like, I'm not going to tell you what my dream is. You're going to tell me what my dream is, and then you're going to tell me the meaning. Well, I can't tell you the meaning unless I know what the dream was. Well, then what was a dream? You're a magician. You're supposed to know this stuff, mystical, blah. Well, I don't know. And so he gave this order, just kill them all. Kill all the wise men, kill all the magicians, kill all these sorcerers, just get rid of them because they're all stupid apparently. And so Daniel, with it, as one of these wise men, not really the one who failed, but as byproduct is going to suffer the rest of his, well, end the rest of his life. And so he goes to the executioner and he says, hey, I don't want to die. Give me a meeting with the king. 
Why? Well, I'm going to tell him what his dream is, and then I'm going to tell him what the meaning is. He didn't even know yet. Daniel stepped out in faith, knowing that there was a God who both gives and interprets dreams. And so Daniel, first instance, well, second, really, after he rejected food, which I don't understand why you would do that. I love food, especially pork. And so he arranges this meeting and he goes back and he gets his friends and they're all praying and fasting overnight. Being, Lord, give us the dream that our king has had. Give us the interpretation of it. Now, here's the great thing. Uh, because of Daniel's character and his, his faithfulness in the Lord, uh, God had gifted him with the ability to interpret and discern all dreams. And so I don't think it's ironic that Daniel was doing this. And so the next morning he comes forth, he tells him the dream verbatim and then gives him an interpretation which was good for King Nebuchadnezzar but not any other of the rest of the empires. Uh, so the Greek empire, the Persian empire and the Roman empire, they all were gonna be bad. Um, and then we see another life or death situation with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And because of this dream, because the Lord was gonna bless King Nebuchadnezzar, he built a massive statue and said, hey, if you ever see this, you gotta bow down and worship it, but we're also gonna worship this every day. So everybody, worship it every day. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you know the story, refused to worship this statue. They refused to bow down to this false idol. And the consequence of that, uh, which they received, was to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And and because they were so persistent and resistant to worship this false, this false statue, this false God, King Nebuchadnezzar in his rage was like, make it 10 times hotter. And my strongest soldiers, they're gonna throw you in it. And they died because it was so hot. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tossed into this furnace. They see like an angel or a being or something because there was a fourth and they come out completely unharmed. Not a hair on their head was singed. God's favor exercised and witnessed second. And then we get to Daniel chapter six. Uh, and I just skipped over a lot in the time frame, but here we are about 60 plus years after Daniel has gone to exile in Babylon. That's important. That means he's old as dirt, which is important for later. And so we see in Daniel chapter six, King Nebuchadnezzar has died. Uh, there's another king, his name starts with a B and I can't pronounce it, so I'm not gonna humiliate myself doing that. Uh, he rises up, he dies, he's done. And now the Persians have now taken over Babylon and King Darius is now the one running the show. And there was 120 advisors in charge. Daniel was among them. Uh, he was actually, his favor uh, from the Lord also grew with favor from King Darius. And so he was elevated above all the other wise men and, and interpreters and all of the other boys. And so he's this exile, he's this Jew, this foreigner who's above the whole kingdom. The only person who's over Daniel is King Darius himself. And so that made the natives pretty jealous that this immigrant, this foreigner was above us all. He was privileged. And so we're going to do something. We're gonna, we're gonna find a way to bring him down. And so we see in Daniel chapter six that they go to the king in unison, united uh, to get this decree that all people for the next 30 days must worship King Darius and no other God. And so we pick up in verse 10. 
And I want to read this. This is a pretty lengthy passage, uh, so pay attention. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened to, with the windows open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. That means there was a habit. There was discipline. He worshiped God regularly. This wasn't just because the decree was in place. Daniel wasn't breaking habit. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into a lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be replaced. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed because he loved Daniel. Daniel was faithful, not just to God, but to the king. He was reliable. He was trustworthy. He was dependable. King Darius was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree that the king issues can be changed. The king finally gave order. And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve so continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. This was happening. There's no way out. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, Has your God, whom you serve so faithfully, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. I think that's really important how he responded. May the king live forever. May my God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They did not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor Have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty? In that moment, Daniel fulfilled the meaning of his name, which is God is my judge. And he also fulfilled the prophecy that Jeremiah talks about in chapter 29 that says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. 
marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so, picking back up in verse 23, Daniel's fulfilled prophecy. He's fulfilled the meaning of his own name. He stood against an entire kingdom multiple times, not wavering in his belief and his unshakable faith that God is the only true God. And so verse 23, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he trusted in his God. And then this is important because this was a custom of the day. If you wrongly accused somebody, the punishment you sought for them also was given to you and your wives and your children. So verse 24, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. Daniel had unshakable faith in the midst of a life and death situation. When it seemed that all odds were stacked against him, there was no hope. This was my last night, and I'm spending it with felines. It's over. It's right in those moments of complete darkness when it looks like we've been completely overcome. This is where God's favor, God's miracles usually come forth. And it was out of Daniel's faithfulness that the favor of the Lord rested on him. And that brings me to one of three observations of Daniel's life and how he lived and how he persevered uh, through complete trial and, and uh, suffering. And that is faithful to the faithful. That's point number one if you're, you're writing words. And Psalm 18, 23 says that God is faithful to the faithful and shows integrity to those with integrity. And I think that that, right there marks Daniel's life to a T, that he was faithful to the one who is faithful. That in the midst of being stripped of your culture, all of your beliefs, being forced to reject your own God, he stood faithful, not wavering in his faith, not wavering in his belief and trust in the Lord, that regardless of what this kingdom may require me to believe my God is greater. And time and time again, through Daniel's faithfulness, we see that God is greater than kings and kingdoms. That it doesn't matter what the powers of these world may throw at us, God is greater. And when we remain faithful to the God of the universe, he proves himself faithful. This is like, this has been the most struggling truth that I've had to come to realize this year. Um, Psalm 1, verse 2 and 3. 
has pretty much been the verse that I've had to cling to this year in, in midst of transition, uh, in uprooting my life and planting it in something else. And it says, but they take delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves do not wither, and they prosper in all they do. Um, in the course of this year, uh, in studying uh, what the Lord, Lord's will for me is, uh, this verse has, has been so true that there's nothing stable in my life. There has not been for this whole year. Yet, being firmly planted in streams of living water, I think it's ironic that David says that in Psalms and Jesus says it in John 4, that he is living water and being planted firmly in living water produces stability, much fruit, and causes you to prosper in all you do. And it looks, let's, let's be completely honest, prosperity looks drastically, drastically different in the eyes of the Lord than it does in the eyes of the world. Let's just make that clear. And so I think that if we're to remain faithful because God is faithful, it's important that we realize it, it, it's first being connected to the one who is faithful. Like John 15 says it perfectly. John 15, one through four says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or gardener. Each branch in me, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Unshakable faith is not instant. It doesn't happen overnight. In fact, it's built. It's grown. And I, I, would, I would say that unshakable faith comes from standing in a place of vulnerability for consistent, long amounts of time that when we have nothing that seems like we can fall back on, that's where the Lord proves his faithfulness most. Yet, just as John 15 says, if we're not connected to the vine, if we're not connected to, to the Father, we can't produce fruit. I think it's ironic that in Galatians 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit is faithfulness. So if we remain in the vine, and as we remain in the vine, we produce fruit, and fruit is, uh, one of the fruits of the Spirit is faithfulness, I, I think we can figure this simple math equation out that being planted in Jesus, continually in Jesus, produces faithfulness. And as we be planted in Jesus long enough, our faith is grown, it's cultivated, and in areas that's unnecessary, the Lord's gonna prune it so that we can be more fruitful, we can be more effective, and our faith is strengthened. It's like being planted along a stream of living water. You take deep roots. You're strong. You, you're there for the long haul. Those are the trees that last hundreds of years. They're not easily moved. They don't just get swept away 
in the storms of life. They're firmly planted. They're not going anywhere. And how often in our lives when things get hard, when, when we, it seems like we've got this nasty curveball, it might be health issues, it could be loss, it could be marriage, marriage strife and, and just complete implosion of it. And, and it seems like there is no hope before us. Yet it's that kind of faith that says, God will deliver me. God is faithful. God is love. God is for me, not against me. It's that kind of faith that endures all things, loves all things, and is marked by someone who has got the character of unshakable faith. And I think Daniel modeled that well when, when he stood in the face of a decree that literally was forcing him to worship somebody he didn't really believe in, to reject Yahweh. And the consequence of that is to be killed. He was willing to suffer the consequence to be faithful and remain faithful to the Lord. Just a question for you to ponder tonight. If you never spend time with God, how would you ever expect to stand for God? I think God wants more of our full-time connection and less of weekend visitation. I think at the heart of love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is spiritual intimacy. And I think a lot of times we miss that. And that has been probably the biggest pill for me to swallow this year that it doesn't matter of my position, doesn't matter my status, it doesn't matter what is going on in my life. My first love should be the one who first loved me. And if we're never connected to the vine, you can tell by branches what's living and what's not, what's connected and what's not. In the same way, I was challenged with this at Kingswood and it started to steer my life in a different direction. So I want to challenge you with this tonight. You can tell who spends time with God and who does not. And it's evidenced by their fruit. Pastor Rick unpacked that truth very beautifully in our Galatians series, in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, in Galatians 6, 7, Paul talks about sowing to your flesh and sowing to the spirit. That if you sow to your flesh, uh, or sorry, what you reap, or sorry, again, what you sow is what you reap. So what you give your life to, at the end, you will reap a harvest of that. So if you sow to your flesh, Paul says you will reap a harvest of decay and death and destruction. And if you sow to the spirit, you will reap a harvest of everlasting life. And I think it's important that just a few verses before that in chapter five, Paul lists what giving your life away to your flesh looks like and what giving your life in step with the spirit connected to the vine looks like. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
And so if we are, are going to attain and pursue a faith that is unwavering, it's immovable, and it's unchanging in our trust and belief in the Lord, whom we may not always explicitly be able to prove his existence, I think it's important that we first plant ourselves deeply rooted in the Spirit. Because it's God who cultivates faithfulness. It's a product of being connected with the Lord. And so that ties into my second observation in Daniel's life, and that is what you do in private informs who you are in public. What you do in private informs who you are in public. And so Daniel privately worshiped Yahweh three times a day, was still caught, still thrown in the lion's den. But out of his faith, out of cultivating that relationship with the Lord, it informed his character and his competency. His character was above reproach. Consistently, over the course of, I think it was like 70 years, uh, they said Daniel uh, served in the, in the kingdom. He served over the course of the reign of three kings, and every single king elevated him above the rest. His character was above reproach, and his competency was next to none. He was far greater, far more capable. He was wiser. He could interpret dreams. He could tell you what your dream was. He was just an all-star compared to everyone else. And it was built first out of that connection with the Lord. And something that I've been learning in ministry so far is regardless of what you're capable of, your competency will only take you as far as your character will sustain you. I don't know about you, but if you're a jerk, I'm probably not going to hire you. Your competency is only going to take you as far as your character will sustain you. And I think for a lot of us, and what a lot of what I've been reading is, your character is cultivated in private. Uh, I actually have this conversation a lot with teenagers uh, I can't help it. It's just the way that I am. No, it's not. Nope. It's actually a series of thoughts that you've been thinking about and dwelling on long enough that have actually produced action. So you put that into action. Uh, and over the course of, you know, probably 21 days, that action became a habit. And after 63 days, that habit became a character trait. It's not who you are. It's who you've chosen to be. And in all reality, a lot of those character issues that I, I come into contact with are irreversible. If they were to stop sowing to their flesh and start planting themselves in the spirit, uh, they would change their character. But it wouldn't come from just being in public with Christians. It's spiritual intimacy in private with the Lord. I think that's why in Matthew 6, Jesus says, go in a room and close the door and pray to the Lord. I'm going to read a verse out of 2 Chronicles, and then you can come back up. And so what you do in private informs who you are in public. My last observation is uh, what is crazy in one season is faithful in the next. If I, honestly, I'm a fighter by nature, so I love to stand against the status quo and I love to challenge people just for the sake of challenging. I love a good verbal squirmish. Uh, in fact, Jason and I had one last weekend right before he preached and it was thoroughly enjoyable. Loved it. And I'm actually gonna quote the thing we, we debated about. So here we go. Uh, no, I love... I don't know why. I just, maybe I'm aggressive and competitive. I don't know. 
I love to stand against the grain, and that's something I've created a, a bad reputation for myself about in high school. But what you do uh, matters, and what sometimes is crazy in one season is faithful in the next. I don't think if, if we were standing here today and we saw a guy rejecting the powers of the world on the fact that he believed in a different God, most of us would probably not clap for him until he was elevated out of the lion's den. What seems crazy in one season is faithful in the next. Um, and I'm actually trying to exercise this. And so I want to read a list of things that are on a sticky notes on my desk in my office that I pray for every single day that I'm in the office. And honestly, I have no sweet clue if this is going to happen. But I, I'm praying persistently that the Lord would have his will, and he would, he would do things that we have never seen before. And, and so I, I want to exercise crazy faith, unshakable faith. And this is not like parading what I'm doing. I really don't want to share this with you because what happens if it doesn't you know, come into existence? I just admitted to like 500 people over the course of one weekend that I was believing for something that didn't happen. And I don't like vulnerability. So here we go. But some of the things that I'm praying for is, is that God would raise up 50 passionate students, not just cultivate them and plant them firmly in his spirit, but they would send them out. That God would anoint them, commission them, and send them to be a presence in their own schools. 50. And then here's the thing. I actually believe I'm going to see that happen because I'm already seeing it happen. Like God's doing it. It's, it's beginning. I'm, I'm seeing it unfold before my eyes. And, and here's why specifically 50. Because if each one of those 50 students reached one, that'd be 100. And if we continue with that, that mindset of growing passionate followers of Jesus and sending them out, that 100 continues to reach another one, that's 200. That's exponential growth. Like I'm praying that I would see hundreds and hundreds of high school students and young adults come to know Jesus in my time here. I'm praying that God would, would heal and strengthen our church, that he would unite us in a way that has never been done before, that we would stop thinking about the glory days are behind us, but actually they're before us. And I'm praying for that persistently every day because I believe that, that God does not just let things die. I believe in a God of life. I believe that there will be a transforming presence of Jesus in Aroostook County. And I believe that we're going to play a vital role for it. I've been asking the Lord to raise up five strong, fearless women to serve at raising up the next generation. Uh, while I love our leaders, and you'll hear what I'm praying for them next, uh, we're growing. We're strengthening our ministry. And if we're going to you know, see the first two things that I said happen, we need leaders to invest in these kids. And right now we have a shortage of women. And this isn't like a plug that we need more ladies to help serve, although it totally is if you feel called to that. It's the fact that I don't want run of the mill. I want excellence. And I'm praying that the Lord would raise up a leaders to invest in our girls in ways that strengthens them helps them find their place and purpose in God's kingdom, establishes identity in Christ that they're a daughter. And then they would be sent out as one of those 50 or 100 or 200. And I'm praying for our leaders to be anointed 
in such a way that their influence continuously is greater than mine. Like, yeah, I get platform and title of pastor, but I'm praying our leaders do the ministry because in all honesty, they've got much more life experience and wisdom and investment than I do. And so I'm praying that the Lord would fill and anoint our leaders in such a way that that every time they walk in a room, students see the evidence of the Spirit upon them. And I could be praying for this over the next 10 years. Who knows? But I won't stop until the Lord says, no, that's not what I'm going to do because I have something better. Or I see it happen. I'm committed. I really hope that I don't look like a fool over the next little while. That the Lord would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so I have a, I have a quote by H.P. Charles Jr. Um, and it says, prayer is arguably the most object- objective measurement of our dependence on God. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. And so my challenge for us tonight is what do you need to offer to God? What do you need to pray about? What does God need to handle? What's the lion in your life? What's the thing that is causing you to doubt? What's the thing in your life that's causing you to lose hope? What do you need to offer to the Lord to step out in faith and pray it through, like consistently, until God gives you the answer or delivers you from the situation? Maybe, like I said before, it is your marriage, it's anxiety, it's stress, it's depression, it's your job, it's your finances, it's grief. And some of us might not be facing massive challenges in our lives. And so we don't really have a lion that's just waiting to devour us. But we got a little kitty cat. And it's not a big thing. It's a little thing. But sometimes little things can become big things if we let them go long enough. And so what's the kitty cat in your life? What do you need God to handle in the small things? In fact, I believe if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the big things. And so uh, the key is to be faithful. If we're going to remain faithful for he is faithful, we must continuously be faithful. Our character will be formed around it. And if we're going to stand in one season and and do something that's out of cultural norms, that, that seems like we're just stupid for believing in that. We're crazy. Yet, we know the Lord will count it as faithful in the next season. What do we need to offer to the Lord? And so the band's gonna come and I just wanna share this verse out of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, And I think this is really the heart of the message tonight that the Lord wants to share with us. And he says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. 
What do you need to be faithful with the Lord about? What do you need to offer him? We're actually going to enter into a time of communion. And here's how I want us to do communion tonight. Um, For those of you who are followers of Jesus, we invite you to participate. Um, If you don't believe that Jesus came and died for your sins and rose for your life, we just ask you to sit out uh, because this is, is remembering the sacrifice of what Jesus has done for us. And so if you have professed to be a follower of Jesus, I would invite you to participate but here's how I want you to take communion tonight. We remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed for our forgiveness and our freedom. But we also received the Holy Spirit, which gives us authority on earth. And so as we take communion and remember what has been done for us and what has been given, I want you to pray about what you need to give, what you need to offer to the Lord, And so if you're a communion steward, would you please come? You guys can start playing, praying, both, all of the above. And so I'm just gonna pray and bless the elements. I wanna pray a blessing for you, but I also wanna challenge you. Are you being faithful? Father, I... I'm just so grateful that your goodness is greater than my circumstance. And Jesus, I'm just, uh, I'm just in awe of how you provide in seasons of uncertainty. And so Father, as we celebrate your gift of forgiveness and new life, also relationship and intimacy. I just pray that you'd bless these people. Reveal to them that they can fall on you and you will catch them. God, it's my desire that these people would be marked by their faithfulness. So I'm just thankful I just pray that you would give us faith. And as we remain faithful, we'll overcome the powers of darkness. Because your word is true. That as we remain in you, you remain in us. Just pray this in Jesus' name.